Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Americans generally are pretty angry, and we've been getting angrier. A 2016 article from the BBC cited that the economy, immigration, and the growing ideological divide between Democrats and Republicans are three of the top five reasons that Americans are angry. That was a 2016 article. Um, That was six years ago, and in 2020, we reached a tipping point. So a 2020 Washington Post article out of June of last year uh, said that the country is dealing with three disasters superimposed on one another, the pandemic, the economic fallout, and civil unrest. And what we found, uh, in particularly in 2020, is that cases of domestic abuse were up. Um, And so we found that families were fighting and becoming violent with one another. We found that major airlines reported increased aggression against flight attendants. Uh, We found that restaurant owners reported dealing with patrons that are just on the edge. And if the food isn't just right or if there's a policy they don't like, then the patrons of the restaurant are uh, reacting in an angry manner. And so Americans are, tend to be angry over how we think about things uh, like racism, policing, mask wearing, vaccines. Uh, the list could go on and on of hot button issues, right? Um, it, usually if, there, if, if others kind of see an issue in a way that we don't see it or see it differently than we do, a lot of times the easiest response or the first response is for us to be angry. Social media, uh, I don't think, has helped, right? Social media provides a platform, a megaphone for anyone to share their anger. And these digital megaphones have made real-world relationships harder. Um, Did you hear that? The the social media platforms have actually made real-world relationships harder. Um, I've heard many report, just kind of anecdotally as a pastor, I've heard many report doing what I myself have done, and that is... You kind of stop following someone on social media just because you don't want to hear what they think about particular subjects, right? Um, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I think I'm not alone there. Uh, and in fact, this, this kind of relational tension in digital spaces has been reflected in real-world friendships and relationships. Uh, the Survey Center on American Life reported recently that in 1990, only 3% of men and less than 2% of women reported having no close friends. But in 2021, those numbers soared to 15% of men and 10% of women. So just let that sink in. 15% of men in 2021, American men, reported having zero close friends. And over 10% of women reported having zero close friends, skyrocketing over the last 30 years, okay? And so what we found is that in the last 30 years, friendlessness is on the rise in our country. So in many ways, we're kind of more connected than we've ever been, 
Uh, but those kinds of connections, or maybe the, the, the nature of those connections is actually having real-world implications and, and having difficulty on our real-life relationships. So we're, we tend to be angry as a population, as a culture. We pr- tend to be uh, pretty divided, and the consequences are real. And the trouble is, uh, the church is not exempt from this phenomenon, right? Uh, That perhaps maybe you've seen or known or experienced the same exact kind of things finding their way into the church. In fact, the church in many ways has fallen victim to this same kind of rage, this same kind of division. Uh, You'll find from your social media feeds or maybe just relationships, Christians blast each other uh, over any kind of number of issues. Um, Everything nowadays is hyper-politicized. And so even calling each other, sometimes we even call each other's faith into question. We hold each other responsible for the demise or the coming demise of the faith or of the church or etc., And so instead of like careful consideration of scriptures and the character of God, uh, the people of God tend to just divide into the same left, right, conservative, progressive kind of camps and yell at each other over issues of race, climate change, mask wearing, and others. And the truth is, it's exhausting. And it's exhausting for everyone, right? Uh, And it's really, really difficult to navigate. And so how do we navigate, uh, how do we become Christian or how do we be Christian uh, in a world that is largely divided into us and them camps? Um, Or another way of talking about it is how do we resist the rage that is so common and that we see uh, all over us and all around us? Well, I think there's a a scripture out of the uh, Gospel of John that I think will be helpful for us Um, It's John chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse 43 and then read through the end of the chapter. Uh, And hopefully there will be some wisdom here for us today. So John chapter 1, beginning with verse 43, says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, solid question, right? So Philip said to him, Come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, He here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, that is, Nathanael asked Jesus, where did you get to know me? Right? Nathanael says to Jesus, you don't know me. (laughs) Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael then replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? For you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now let's consider this story carefully for a moment. Philip has become a follower of Jesus. Uh, In other words, which is to say that he had come to believe that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and the one who would usher in God's kingdom. 
And if you make that faith confession, if you believe that, then there are all sorts of implications, far-reaching implications for your life. So what this essentially meant was that Philip now had a change of worldview. He had a change of political conviction. It meant that he had a change in social interactions. If you were to look at Philip's Facebook profile before and after Jesus, they would be quite different, if you know what I mean, right? Because the confession that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and the one to usher in God's kingdom, this changes everything. And Philip's life had been changed. Now, so Philip goes to his friend Nathanael, and he says, I have found the Messiah. Now, they're friends, they're Israelites, they're part of the Hebrew people. This means that they have grown up with an anticipation that the Messiah would indeed come uh, to rescue Israel, right? So both of them are, have the same anticipation. They both have the same sort of core commitment, And so Philip says, I have found the long-awaited Messiah. Now, what I have found as I read Scripture is Scripture usually gives us the short version of conversations. Um, And so here's how I imagine the conversation between Nathaniel and Philip going, okay? Hey, Nathaniel, uh, I'm so glad I found you. I've been wanting to tell you that I have found the Messiah. Yeah, I saw your social media update. I'm interested. Who is it, right? He is the one that Moses wrote about. Uh Uh-huh. The one whom the prophets had foretold. Can you believe that this is happening in our lifetime? Well, who is it? Jesus of Nazareth. You know, Joseph's son. What? I was with you, man. I, I really was. But Jesus of Nazareth? We all know nothing good can come out of Nazareth least of all the Messiah. You're crazy. You've gone nuts. You've got to stop this or I will unfollow you on Twitter. Okay? This is exactly how the conversation went down. Okay? Now, with just some minor liberties, some minor liberties, but let's see this. Let's see this for what this really is. Let's see this for what is really happening. Philip has come into some new information that changed his life and gave him new perspective. Nathaniel wrote off that worldview with one cynical remark, because Nathaniel had already made up his mind about people from Nazareth. He had all of his labels prepared, he had his mind made up, and moreover, he was unwilling to have his worldview challenged or his political convictions questioned. Perhaps it was actually Nathaniel who first wrote or inspired the line from Jesus Christ Superstar, quote, so this is Jesus Christ, I am really quite surprised you look so small like no king at all, end quote. Now, I think if we'll see this story, this short, this really brief conversation for what it is, I think that each and every one of us Wherever you find yourself today will find resonance with this story. How many of you, like Philip, have come into new information over the past few years and months and feel like those around you simply won't listen based on their previous held conclusions and unwillingness to be challenged? 
How many of you, like Nathaniel, feel as though the world is being swept away by lies, fear, and a loss of values, and that the ones that you love the most are being carried away by craziness, right? I mean, I would guess that if we really listen and hear this story, we will find resonance with either Nathaniel or Philip, because it turns out that this little short story in the Gospel of John is as relevant as ever. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is that Philip offers Nathaniel an invitation, right? They're, they're kind of in this divide, and it's a divide that is pretty hard to cross. I mean, it's like, it's one saying, here's this, here's this new way of seeing the world. I mean, I'm trying to get you to see it. And then a friend who says, that can't be. Nothing good can come out of it. I've got my mind made up. This is how it is. We need to keep going this way. We need to protect this, Right? And so you have this seemingly uncrossable divide. And what happens next? There is an invitation to simply come and see. It's an invitation. And so these two, despite seeming like, seeming like they are worlds apart and facing irreconcilable differences, continue or decide to walk down a path of discovery together. These two, facing viewpoints that seem they're like they're worlds apart, decide to go on a journey of discovery together. Now, I might be making too much of this, but the invitation to come and see feels less like, um, let me show you what's right, and more like, let's explore this together. Because isn't it true that when we have our, our world kind of flipped upside down, right? And this is where Philip is at. He saw the world one way, then he came to believe upon Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the one who would usher in Jesus' kingdom, and his whole world got flipped and turned upside down. Everything changes once you see this, right? And so you have to believe that, that, that maybe... Maybe Philip isn't just filled with a whole bunch of certainty saying, hey, look how I'm right. But maybe he's saying, hey, let me just continue to explore this because I think I'm on to something here. Are you with me? Are you tracking, right? In other words, the invitation from Philip feels like an invitation to explore together if this could be true. And I just want us to kind of rest in this for a moment to recognize that if we could just get this far, with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, some of our family members uh, that, that we've stopped following on social media, if we could just get so far as to say, let's journey together on this. Let's be willing to talk. Because I've got this new way of seeing the world that I'd like to continue to explore. I'm not quite sure if it's exactly right. And then we've got here the, this kind of rigidity of like, I'm not going to change the way in which I think, but let's explore this willingness to come together and be on a journey together. And so already, if we're listening, we can begin to learn from this story, and, and we can learn the lesson that we shouldn't, as the people of God, be afraid to come into new information, 
that we have for us a historic and grand tradition called Christianity. But every single generation has to work out what it means to confess Jesus Christ as Lord in their place and in their time. And obviously, throughout time, there are commonalities, right? There are, there are pillars of the Christian faith that are markers for us, but everyone, every single generation has to, has to enter into a new world and begin to say, what does the world look like and what does it mean to be faithful? Let's journey on this together. Um, our oldest daughter is coming into teen years, right? And I remember my own life as a teenager in the early 90s, and I just think about how different the world is than it was in the early 90s. And so I, she gets tired of me saying, you know, I'm just trying to figure this out because the world that I experienced as a teenager and the world that you are experiencing as a teenager is completely different. It's totally different. I mean, I did not have a cell phone until I was well into college. I didn't bring a laptop to class until I was in seminary, right? And now it's like second grade, here's a laptop. You know, it's like, what is the, what kind of world is this, right? And so just in the same way that as parents, we have to sort of like relearn the world to help our teenager navigate it, we as disciples of Christ have to look at the world and then together say, how do we navigate this? How do we navigate new information? And, and, and so I, I would just encourage us as the people of God to have this, this explorer's mindset. Sometimes since we are, we feel like we have to defend the faith or we have to protect the faith or we, we feel like somehow we're in God's role <laughs> of preserving this thing, right? God has promised to preserve the church. And so our role is to explore what it means to be the church. And, and sometimes we get a posture of such defensiveness that we just walk right into rage and anger and this sort of like posture of this toward the world. And I would rather the church have an explorer's mindset. Are you with me? And so don't be afraid to come into new information. Explore, read the article, find out for yourself, do your own research, and do it in community with people. Talk about it. Can I say this? Part of the problem on both sides of the divide is a propensity to become parrots of the pundits. Oh! And you wondered what pastors do all week. That's what we do, okay? So I've got to say it again. I've got to say it again. The reason or the trouble on both sides of the divide is a propensity to become parrots of the pundits, right? I thought that was better than you're responding. Okay, so the story, though, the story keeps going. The story keeps going. Um, Jesus sees Nathanael. I mean, we've got Nathaniel. He's already tried to, like, kind of write off, does anything good come out of Nazareth, right? And then we have this invitation to come and see. And so Nathaniel's on this journey. They're, they're walking. They're going. They're coming to explore this thing together. And then Jesus sees Nathaniel, and he says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathan this is like a really positive thing, right? 
Like, like Jesus is looking at Nathaniel, he's calling out the best parts of who he is. This is a true Israelite, a man in whom there's no deceit. This is the guy who was just like the captain cynical, right? And Jesus has this thing to say, and Nathaniel goes right back to, you don't even know me, right? How do you know me? So, so watch this. So he says, Jesus says, here is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And the second thing he says is, I saw you under the fig tree. Life-changing words from Jesus. There's supposed to be a little bit of sarcasm there, right? I mean, like, I saw you under the fig tree. And then if you read the story, everything changes after that. I saw you under the fig tree. You are Lord and Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Like, what in the world is going on, right? So life-changing words from Jesus here. So what is it about these words that have caused Nathaniel to turn a complete 180, where he goes from being a professor of sarcasm uh, to, be call- to calling Jesus rabbi, which is a sign of respect, and then confessing Jesus as the Son of God and true King? The answer to that perplexing question of, like, what happens, what is it about Jesus' words that change Nathaniel's life and heart, I think is right there in front of us. The answer must lie simply in what we are told, and that is that Jesus saw Nathaniel. Now, of course, we need to understand this more deeply than Jesus looked at Nathanael. But Jesus saw him. What we're unclear about is what Nathanael was doing under the fig tree. But you have to gauge from his reaction that it was something really personal and intimate, right? The something was going on. We don't know if it was a bad thing, uh, maybe there was some sort of sin being committed uh, under the fig tree or under the, uh, the cover of the fig tree. Maybe it was a really positive thing. We simply don't know, but we just kind of rest in this fact that Jesus saw Nathaniel, which is to say that Jesus saw all the best parts of Nathaniel all the worst parts of Nathaniel. Nathaniel had just been cynical. He'll be cynical again. And yet Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy and in his kindness, says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, we are faced with a question. Is this, in fact, the case because Jesus said it, okay? Like, is Jesus simply observing the truth about Nathanael? Or is Jesus speaking something over Nathanael that becomes true because Jesus said it? Are you with me, the difference? Is Jesus making an observation? This Nathanael guy, he's a man of incredible integrity, and whatever is going on underneath the fig tree, this is a person of no deceit. Or... Is Jesus speaking over the life of Nathanael and calling out the best parts of him regardless of what Jesus saw? We don't know. I think maybe both could be true. But the second one is where the real power lies. 
right? Because we can know and we can say Jesus is an honest guy. He's making honest observations about people. But we can also say that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has incredible power to speak over our lives, call out the best parts of who we are, and change us. Are you with me? And so I think that's probably what happened because you have a guy who is cynical. Jesus is making these proclamations over uh, his life. Here's a man in whom there is no deceit. And, And Nathaniel says, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what's in my heart. And Jesus says, yes, but I saw you underneath the fig tree. And right there, everything changes. Right there, everything changes because Nathaniel was thinking, if you knew what was going on underneath the fig tree, you wouldn't say that about me. If you knew what happened under, under the cover of, of, of darkness, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say there's no deceit in me, and yet that's exactly what Jesus does. And so the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus, Nathaniel's life was changed by Jesus calling out the best parts of who Nathaniel was, calling him into his true identity in Christ and doing it in the most gentle way possible. Jesus could have said with accusation, I saw you under that fig tree. But that's not how it goes. Nathaniel doubting the word that Jesus had spoken over him, Jesus simply says, yes, I say even that, even when I saw you under the fig tree. There's this gentleness, there's this grace, there is this mercy. God kind of has a habit of dealing with people in this way. This passage ends with a reference to ascending and descending a ladder, which is actually a reference to an Old Testament character named Jacob. Um, Jacob's name means liar. But if you know your Old Testament story, and I won't go over the whole story here, but uh, Jacob's name is eventually changed to Israel after an encounter that Jacob had with God in which he wrestled with God. And so Jacob's name goes from liar to Israel, which means wrestles with God. And, and so there's this, there's this phenomenal kind of thing about what it means to follow in the line of the Israelites is to, want, to be one who, is, who faithfully wrestles with what it means to follow God. To, to be one who wrestles. And, and so you go from this change of identity from liar to faithful wrestler, right? And, and then Peter is this, un, in the New Testament, is an unpredictable and inconsistent disciple whom Jesus calls the rock, right? Like before the rock, there was the rock, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> You have to be careful. If you say the rock in our world, it means a certain thing but, and a certain person. But here we go. Peter is this inconsistent, unpredictable guy who Jesus looks at and says, you are the rock. Jesus calls the poor woman who gives two coins, 
to the offering the most generous person in the room. And while others would call her a sinner, Jesus says to the woman who anoints uh, him with her hair and some oil, says she has shown tremendous love. You see, God has this habit of calling out the best parts of who we are ever so gently, ever so kindly, full of grace, full of mercy, so that our lives might be changed and more properly reflect Him. Are you with me? So in each and every one of these cases, a life is changed because of the gentleness of God. And so I simply want to say that the first step for us If we are to resist the rage that is so prevalent in our culture, the first thing we must recognize and and acknowledge is how gently God works with us. And so for those of you here in this room and you call yourself Christians and you have committed your life to Christ and maybe you've been doing that a while, right? Like maybe you've been on the journey of faith for a while. Look back at your life. Look back at your life over time. And do you see how many times that maybe you have failed to live up? Maybe you've done things that you shouldn't. Maybe you, uh, like, didn't do things that you should have. Uh, Maybe you saw the world in a particular way that you look back and you say, I can't believe I would have seen the world that way. And yet, as you go and you look back at your journey, at every turn you see that God was ever so gentle in working with you that God gently and lovingly works with us, moves us, guides us. This is the God that we serve. Now, sometimes, every now and then, there are big moments. There are watershed moments, and they maybe don't feel uh, like gentle, like they they come sort of in in a moment. They seem abrupt, but when you look back and you see, okay, here's how God was preparing me for that moment, for that watershed moment that all along there was this gentle guiding hand all along my life. I think that we could probably, together as a room, bear witness to that reality of how God works in our life. And so not only do we see that sort of gentleness in the Scriptures, but we also see it in our own experience, that God is ever patient and merciful to us. I think then that we are called to be patient and gentle with those that are around us, even those who may not agree with us on this or that or the other. Amen? And so the first thing we must do as a people of God is realize that if we are to not get caught up in anger and rage, we must first recognize and see that God deals gently and patiently with us. And next week, we're going to talk about then some maybe some real practical ideas, but also just kind of like philosophically thinking about how do we then interact um, with our neighbors. Okay, let me say a word of prayer. Gracious, patient, loving God who is full of grace. We thank you for your leading and guiding in our lives. We thank you for the ways in which you have 
ever so patiently worked with us that we might come to see the, new world, the world in new ways, that we might um, even hold different convictions that we, that we once did, recognizing, Lord, that those are the movement of your Spirit as we seek to be faithful to you. God, today, may you just simply remind us that you are a gentle God. And yes, there are moments that feel abrupt and and there are moments of conviction and correction. We do not deny that or denounce that. But Lord, we welcome those moments. But recognize that the motivation, your posture toward us is one of love. And for that, we give you thanks. And so God, help us as we live in a world and in, our, in a culture that is uh, so easily given over to outrage, to anger, may we, as the people of God, be a prophetic witness of gentleness, of kindness. And Lord, help us to know and to understand and to explore all that that might mean as we seek to be your disciples. So be with us now as we come to the table to receive Uh, your grace to receive your leading and guiding in our hearts. Um, God, meet us here. We ask in Jesus' name.